You're listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and I'm joined again by Art Briggs, and we are joined today by Corky Messner. To hear the first and second part of Corky's story, go back and listen now to our previous episodes. Welcome back, Art and Corky. Hey, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thank you for having me again. I've been having fun with these. Um, that's great to hear. Um, we're going to dive into your time, um, a little bit in East Germany during the cold war. Um, and what that was like for you. I know art, I'll let you take it away. Sure. Uh, so you get through all of these schools, you jumped out a perfectly good airplane. You learned to rely on your ranger buddy and, uh, you're your second lieutenant and you show up to your first unit in a foreign country. What are you in charge of? What, what are you ready for? And what are you not ready for? Um, I was a platoon leader, an infantry platoon leader, uh, mechanized in for infantry at the time. And, you know, as a young second lieutenant in the, in the infantry and, and the fellow veterans out there, will be glad to hear this and totally understand it. The first thing you learn is you don't know anything and listen to the sergeants. Oh, mercy. Yeah. That is music, that's music to my ears. Yeah, that's the first thing you learn. Um, so, and, and those young second lieutenants who don't learn that in about six hours are in big trouble. Yes, they are. Absolutely. They're going to be finding grid squares somewhere or something like that. Is. <laughs> That's right. That's great. So, uh, so what is it like? You're, you're from small town, middle town, Pennsylvania, railroad town. You've gone through West Point and, and now you find yourself in a, in a foreign country and you're in charge of a, a group of young American warriors. Tell me, tell me what it's like. Uh, you know, I was very motivated. I was very motivated to, to, to serve and lead and do the right thing and learn and learn and learn. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was proud to serve the country. I was proud to be in West Germany. Um, you know, it was... It, it, you know, at the time, you know, the election was starting to heat up with Reagan and Carter. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was proud to be there. And I want I was a sponge. I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. And, uh, you know, and at the same time, when we had time off, it was, we explored, you know, my, 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 fellow lieutenants, we explored Europe. 
Yeah. You mentioned in the last episode, um, seeing the other side of the wall, seeing the devastation. Um, if you would talk, talk me through again, what you saw and where it brings you to today and your values for our country. Yeah. Yeah. The, the man, so many things. I think one thing is what, what our unit would do as, um, we would guard the Iron Curtain, literally guard it, and and the the entire system along that border, the East West German border, was was a wall, an obstacle system, all designed to keep people inside of East Germany. It wasn't designed to keep us out. It was designed to keep their people in. And the same thing with the Berlin Wall. You know, the Berlin Wall circled West Berlin, which at that time was a, West Berlin was a vibrant, wonderful city. East Berlin was, you know, lonely, no energy, no hope, no joy, uh, very little infrastructure. I remember going into an East German, an East Berlin department store once, and there was like nothing in there. I mean, you literally, this big department store, there's nothing in there. You had to stand in the line, and then when you got to the counter, they had behind the counter whatever items they had, and they had, I think, maybe six or seven items. This was a department store. And your choice was one of those items. And you'd tell the person and they'd go back in the storage room and bring it out to you. I bought a, I bought a, a vase that I kept for many, many years till my youngest son destroyed it with a ball. Um, <laughs> but what they would do in, in, in East Berlin, there was this wonderful restaurant there. And it was amazing food and amazing champagne. And we all knew, because uh, we had to wear our uniforms, that it was probably a a um, a bugged KGB deal because they all the officers would go there and have these great meals and all this champagne, you know. <laughs> so they were hoping we would talk out of school. I'm sure. Yeah. So from that memory uh, of seeing those things. Um, obviously you've developed a great law firm and and now you're running for Senate. How does that motivate you? What's, what's your vision or, or even your, your concept that you carry forward from that time for our state and our nation? Yeah. Well, and you know, I, in my four and a half years there, I ended up commanding an infantry company that, that I, I was asked to command as a first lieutenant. And so, you know, you know, one of, one of many lessons, but, you know, it was very profound to come back and see the vibrancy in America after seeing socialist East Germany. And, and it really, really put things into perspective of the, of the 
uh, core values that have made America great. Liberty, freedom, opportunity, the American dream, uh, the ability to do whatever you want, and, and, and the importance of those things. And the fact that it is so incredible that we have this amazing, amazing country with, with a standard of living the likes of which have ne- has never been seen before in the history of man. And, 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 the, and the core values that, that were needed to create this amazing country and the sacrifices, the sacrifices of veterans so that, so that, you know, people here had the opportunity to innovate, to create, to take risks, to grow businesses. And, 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 you know, as I would say in my law firm to, to young lawyers as we were growing the business, you know, I would say, this doesn't happen by accident. You know, and it's the same thing with America. You know, this doesn't happen about by accident. And, it, and, it's, and it's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, because those, those values of freedom and hard work and liberty and economic freedom, you know, th- those things are the things that make this country great. And, and I see, you know, the left in politics trying to have government take more and more and more control and to give government more and more and more power. And as the government gains power, we lose our liberty. We lose our freedom. We lose our economic freedom. And, and so, you know, I am going to fight to preserve and protect those things. Because those are the things that make this country great. And, and, and it's the personal sacrifices and the hard work. Government did not make this country great. And that's an interesting thought. What would you say made this country great? Oh, you already did. I'm sorry. You said the values. I am listening. Um, I, I guess I was trying to push you, push you to a different place because I have a, a distinct impression that the Constitution of the United States of America, which in, really embodies our values, uh, is what has allowed for this country to be great. Um, that's, exact, that's exactly right. And that constitution embodies our values. That's right. You know, yep. freedom, you know, the right to free speech, the, the, the right to keep and bear arms, the right to peaceably assemble, you know, the right to due process. You know, yeah, the, I, I have a feeling we've experienced those values so much and taken them for so much for granted that we don't realize that they are something that can be lost and have been lost in different areas of the world. They've been taken away, I should say. And, um, you know, people like you and every other veteran that served our nations wore an oath 
and I've, I, I have this whole spiel um, that we swore an oath not to the president, not to, to a senator, not to a House member, but to the Constitution of the United States, and we'll obey the orders of the president and the officers appointed over us. But the oath is to exactly what you're saying, the, the Constitution. Yeah. And I believe it's obey the lawful orders. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, and it so so the 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 greatness of the Constitution. Think about it that that these people, you know, two hundred and fifty plus years ago, had the foresight and the wisdom to write that Constitution, and 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 the fact that it's timeless, and that's why I'm a constitutional conservative. And I believe in the Constitution as written. And, and it is, you know, the, the arrogance of the elitists who think they are smarter uh, than, than our founders and, and, and can recreate something better today by giving government more control, I, I mean, is a demonstration of a, of a level of arrogance that, that, that ignores not only the history of this country, but the history of mankind. That's good. I'm going to bring, bring you, thank you for sharing that too. Um, I want to bring you back to uh, your, your time in Germany. Uh, how, how long were you in Germany and, and what was the culmination of your career in the army? Yeah, I was in, I was in Germany four and a half years. I, I commanded a, a, a mechanized infantry company, which I took command as a first lieutenant, and then I got promoted to captain. And uh, I think I did that for my last 18 months there. And, um, and then I decided to leave the Army. And, and I, you know, and one of the amazing things to me while I was in Germany that, that when Reagan got elected, and he took office in January 1981. Almost immediately, you know, more material, better, better training time, better training equipment. The M1 Abrams tanks started coming in soon thereafter. The training centers were were renovated. I mean, the buildup under Reagan in West Germany was amazing. And then we would get sent to the border whenever, you know, whenever the the communists would, you know, would try to put down the protest of Gladsnost in Poland, we'd get sent to the border. And um, and I remember the night I was we were out on maneuvers. It was the middle of the night and over the radio, President Reagan's been shot. And we all went on alert. So, so, so I stayed there four and a half years. I commanded a company. I was faced with a situation where I would have gone to the infantry officer advanced course, and then I would have been a bureaucrat for the next five or six or seven years, you know, instead of being with the troops. And, 
And I thought, I, if I'm going to be a bureaucrat, I ought to go and make money being a bureaucrat, you know, or, or, or being behind a desk. When you're in private sector, you're not a bureaucrat. Right. Right. You become a company man when you go uh, to the O4 level, uh, so to speak. So that that's a beautiful story for those of you that are listening that don't know what a company commander of an infantry mech company does. Um, you're basically in charge of an entire company. How many people do you remember? About 150. About 150. Of America's finest from all walks of life in a foreign country, and you're responsible not for one of them, not for seven of them, but all 150 of them. And so I, was was all, I was all about 25 years old when I took command. So you knew everything you needed to know. You had all the life's experiences. You were ready right. to do that job. Right. <laughs> right. Being just a little yeah. bit over 25, uh, that's, a, that's a scary perspective. <laughs> oh, yeah. Being, being put right at the... Uh, the wall and, and being on alert and being responsible for those, you know, 17, 18 year olds with uh, live ammunition is uh, got to be a tantalizing thing. So uh, what, what was your one takeaway from your company commander time that uh, sticks with you today? Yeah. Um, awesome responsibility that, that, you know, that to be responsible for 150 soldiers and we had, oh my gosh, probably a hundred million dollars worth of equipment. Um, it's just an awesome responsibility. And, and, you know, and, and to accomplish the mission, you know, you know, compassionate, strong leadership is the only way to do it. I like it. I like it. Um, oh, I had one more question, but I lost it. I want to honor your time. I know we got about uh, nine minutes left before we have to let you go for the evening. Really appreciate your time. The transition after you, you move on from the Army, uh, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, I, I, I out-processed at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. I went to see my mother in Florida for a bit. Um, <laughs> this is, this is an, I, I don't know if we have time for this story. Um, I, I applied to law schools when I was in the Army. I didn't do very well on the LSAT because I was literally out on maneuvers and came in on a Saturday morning to test it, to take it. And I was, it was a disaster. So, so the only law school that accepted me and they didn't accept me, it was university of Denver college of law put me on the wait list. So I decided to go to Denver and I got there probably in June of 84, and I called the law school. I said, hey, I'm on the wait list. And they said, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> so I thought, well, gee, I better go get a job. And I got a job at Martin Marietta, 
which is now Lockheed Martin. And I got a job very quickly because I had a very high security clearance. And, and you know, they with the Reagan buildup, they had all kinds of projects going on. So I got a job there quickly. And uh, probably in July. And I hated it. It was terrible. I just, corporate world, it was just terrible. So, and this is a true story. <laughs> so on Friday, before Labor Day weekend in the morning, I called the University of Denver College of Law. I said, hey, I'm on this wait list. And they said, well, is there a number we can reach in? I gave them my business number. And I was in the morning. I go to lunch, come back. And this was, of course, before cell phones. And there was a message there for me to call back. So early afternoon, I call back. And, and, and the law school said, we have a slot for you. I said, great. When does, when does it start? They said, Tuesday, because it was Labor Day weekend. I said, oh really? Gosh. I said, yes. Um, I said, how long do I have to decide? They said, well, give me an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and I talked to my boss and I quit my job and I showed up to law school on that Tuesday morning. And, uh, and I ended up finishing law school early and finishing, I think number two in my class, maybe in the top five. And then I went to work at a mega law firm called Kirkland and Ellis. And I was there for about six years before I started my own firm. Wild, congratulations. Um, Your story uh, is filled with is obstacles and teammates and hardships and cooperation and tenacity and not give up. And I appreciate you sharing all that. Homeland Heroes Foundation is founded on really taking care of veterans. And I know that's something you're passionate about. Can you give us just a, a, a notion of like, what it means to you to be a veteran, what it means to be still part of this enormous family and team, and and how important it is for you, for us as a nation, for us as a community, for us as a person, to uh, honor and care for our nation's service members. Yeah, it is, you know, we, we, we veterans have a special bond, and, and, you know, we we should do everything we can to help each other, and and I do it differently than most. Uh, I've got to tell you, I mean, I'm not I'm not the guy that's out at big veterans events and 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 doing you know that kind of glad handing. Um, I mean, my support of veterans has, has been around, one, whenever a veteran applies for a job at my law firm, they get hired. Um, two, I'm involved with a group um, of veterans, a group of veterans who mentor and, and help veterans who are entrepreneurs 
and and start businesses and want to start businesses and we not only mentor them we 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 help finance them and and um we were involved in um one you've heard of i'm sure and it's uh black rifle coffee yes absolutely so so I, I mean, it's so the way I support veterans, I think it's different from most. I, you know, I quite frankly, they're, they're home, that's one of the reasons I, I, I think the world of Julie and Homeland Heroes is just the way they go about their business. It's focused on helping, helping veterans in, 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 a, in a real meaningful way with, without you know, a whole bunch of fanfare fair around it. You know, I, I, you know, and I think it's important to help veterans in a meaningful way. And, and I think Julie does a great job at that. Julie is the executive director of the Homeland Heroes Foundation. And she does a really great job. She has a lot of passion that really drives the Homeland Heroes Foundation. Corky, I know you got to go. I, I did remember the question that eluded me. Uh, you were a company commander of an infantry mechanized unit in the Cold War. And since then, you've watched uh, young men and women go into Iraq and Afghanistan as company commanders. And I got to ask you, what do you think about this young generation of leaders being put at the front lines of uh, of, of Iraq and Iraqi freedom and, and enduring freedom in Afghanistan and other other parts in our of our world. What do you think about yeah. those young men and women? Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. And I wrote an article that's on FoxNews.com, an op-ed where I talk about millennials and millennials being the next great greatest generation because if you think about it the global war on terrorism began at about the time millennials were coming of age yep and and so this war that's lasted now 19 years you know the 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 oldest millennials are now 40 i mean so those leaders those soldiers those veterans you know are millennials not all of them, but many of them. And, and, you know, and they, they, you know, that, that generation has been through so much, 19 years of the global war on terrorism, the great recession that we went through. And now this, now, now, now this COVID crisis. And, and it, and they, I, I think that generation of veterans uh, they 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 deserve a tip and a hat more than a tip of the hat. They deserve, you know, our love, our support, our our help, our compassion, um, and and to do anything we can to help them because this is the next greatest generation, you know. And I know millennials have been criticized a lot, but it's you know it's just in my opinion not fair. And I've experienced building my law firm with millennials. Well, being a millennial myself, Corky, I, I appreciate that because not all of us are, we all work for what we have and um, 
I appreciate that sentiment. I'm going to finish up. I got one last question for you that we end all our podcasts with. If you could do it all again, would you? Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. I would I would do it all again and I would hope I wouldn't make as many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hindsight is 2020. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time um, out of your campaign schedule, which I'm sure is very, very busy um, to sit down and talk with us. Your story is amazing. And I know we could probably drone on for a few more hours at least. So maybe we'll have to have you come back. Sure. Um, more stories. But again, thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Um, thank you for what you're doing for veterans. Um, yeah, it's, it's we're we're looking forward to see the outcome of November, I think. Um, I'm going to win. I'm going to be your next U.S. <laughs> Senator. Corky for Senate.com or I'm on my Facebook page, Corky Messner for Senate. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, thank you for joining us for the last part of Corky's story. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.